Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Serena Sabatini for a conversation about textiles in northern Italy in the late Bronze Age. Dr. Sabatini is Associate Professor at the University of Gothenburg based in Sweden. She is co-editor of the book, The Textile Revolution in Bronze Age Europe, which was published by Cambridge University Press. And she's also co-editor of the book, Exchange Networks and Local Transformations, which was published by Oxbow Books. And she joins us today from Gothenburg, Sweden. Welcome to the call, Serena. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so when we're talking about contextually the Bronze Age, what were textiles in that period of time? Um, yeah, so um, textiles, with, uh, um, there is very little left from the Bronze Age, but of course, textile is something that we can think about of clothing for everybody, and uh, it's probably textile from the households, both practical, like carpet, or mm. of which we basically have no evidence, but they must have existed, and other textiles that you would use in the household activities. Okay, so if, if um, and how, does any textiles, like what would survive for, for scholars when we're talking about textiles and we're going back, uh, you know, quick quick math, 4,000, maybe 5,000 years, what, what, what does anything sur- survive? There are, there, are, there are fragments, there is definitely fragments, uh, quite a lot of them, they're often okay. very small and they preserve uh, often what we have, it's two different kinds of textiles, it's the uh, flax textile and the woolen textile. Um, and they preserve in different uh, conditions. I would say that actually from the Mediterranean basin proper, you have mostly fragments of flux textile, while uh, from Europe, in uh, uh, through the continent, there's quite a lot of woolen textiles. But that doesn't mean that woolen was not used in the Mediterranean and flux was not used in Europe. The, it's mostly preservation that determine what we have today. Uh, there is very little... Um, most, most of the material is fragmented. The only um, full, fully preserved textile clothing that we have belong to the Bronze Age, Nordic Bronze Age, and come from Denmark, actually. Okay. And uh, so flax has been mentioned kind of uh, indirectly on the show in the past and that um, the, the Ithaca Bound podcast hasn't covered textiles directly as a uh, like a full full episode episode can can you describe what that what that is what that is so so um flax and how that how that gets applied to textiles uh yes well, flax is a plant uh mm-hmm. it makes i think it's lean, lean textile in, uh, in english you would say the, the final product and it's a, it is a it has been used it has we have evidence of uh, flax textile from the Neolithic, uh, from very early uh, periods. So it is probably one of the first uh, plants that has been used by humans to create textile. It has a lot of uh, good property and and uh, it definitely has been used for clothing. Uh, what happened during the Bronze Age, the great innovation that happened during the Bronze Age is the introduction of woolen textiles, different from what people normally think, wool, it's not that old. <laughs> we mm. learned to use wool during the Bronze Age and mm. for, for a number of reasons, mostly connected to how sheep looked like in the past. They didn't look like white 
Okay. And no no questions are too simple on this show. So when we're talking about when we're talking about wool, are we talking about uh, from a sheep? Yes, okay. we are talking about uh, well, yeah, uh, you, you can actually get uh, animal fibers from different animals, but the, the innovation is the, the sheep wool. Um, you can imagine that during the Neolithic, probably the sheep, the say the original, the, the sheep ancestors, they looked very much like reindeer today. Uh, they didn't have wool uh, or long fibers that you could actually use to make it. Right? This is something that probably some animal had and then someone started breeding and uh, uh, them to, to obtain longer fibers. And this is something that probably started very early, but didn't, it didn't arrive to have proper wool to be used into textile production before the, the fourth millennium, the end of the fourth millennium BC. So wool is something that arrives with the beginning of the Bronze Age, and, uh, and it becomes very popular, and it's probably quite an expensive fiber, uh, differently from flax that, that wasn't in use already for a long time before. So when you're talking as a scholar about wool uh, from Northern Italy in, mm-hmm. the, in, in, in the Bronze Age, um, do, do, do you as a scholar, do you, do you cite that coming from actual like sheep? Like do, did, did, did sheep as we know it as, as a term, like obviously a different term was used back then, but you know what I mean. Uh, did that did, did sheep exist in the in the Bronze Age in the way that we would know sheep today? And or were there uh, different like was it a family and there was all these different types that it's not just sheep that's producing wool, but there's you know cousins of of sheep. I'm I'm being being very general here, but you know what I mean, right? There's there's cousins of sheep, but they're not really called sheep. Can you can you describe more where that wool's coming from? Yeah, actually, um, uh, as I said, the ancestors is probably uh, one early sheep, uh, mm-hmm. and then they probably come and were firstly domesticated in the some, somewhere in the Taurus mountain. It, today, mm-hmm. Iran, I would say, most likely uh, the original animal, and then they start spreading. And uh, as I said, around the fourth millennium, so you this uh, you have uh, people have managed to. Uh, breed them in a way so that they created the woolier uh, uh, mantle and they start being able to use the fibers because in the beginning this, uh, animals, the fibers would be too small you couldn't mm. skin them into a head but uh, we know from written texts from the Near East that by the third millennium so 3000 to 2000 BC so you're able actually to skin and, and the, the, the production as soon as you get proper wool it, the production becomes enormous, very, very fast. It, uh, it is really a product that people like very much, appreciate very much. Wool has a lot of different properties that flax that doesn't really have. First of all, the wool, as we all know today, it protects you from the heat and from the cold in a different way. And um, it can be spun extremely, you can have very, very fine threads and make it a, almost uh, very soft clothing, which you don't manage to do in the same way with vegetable fibers. And then maybe what really made a big difference is that wool can be easily uh, dyed. You can have colors. Uh, this is much more difficult with vegetables, with, um, with textile made out of plants, like flax. Uh, and I think, uh, personally, I think that the color was really a driving force. Uh, and you can see 
from these early written sources from the Near East that you have uh, already, already, yeah, in the middle of the third millennium, you have different kinds of textiles, and there is a sort of ranking, and there is textiles that are produced exclusively for local kings and princesses, and this is a really high quality woolen textile. Uh, uh, very fine and they require an immense amount of work uh, to skin this very light thread and to weave this fine textile was very complicated. And I, I can, I, well, what we believe is that this the wool is really something precious that, that people look very much forward to, to own and to wear and uh, very quite fast around the second millennium so you have uh, definitely a large production in Mycenaean palaces and the wool production is directly controlled by the palace unlike other production like food which is not really that well uh, organized and that well known in, in text so so we know that it's something that is really on the heart, on the heart of people and in uh, 1500 BC we see large production uh, in Italy as well in northern Italy as well so it is kind of moving. And mm. uh, in 1300 BC, we have woolen clothing in Denmark. So this is moving fast and it is spreading and people know and very much uh, want to acquire this woolen clothing. Uh, These clothes that I said are well preserved from Denmark, they are dated to 1300 BC. And in Denmark, by that time, we don't have archaeological evidence for wool production differently from, from Italy and the Mediterranean, where you have many textile tools, you, you don't really have them in, in Denmark. So it is very much, it is probably that, that they were imported and that they were a center of production, maybe in Italy, in, in the other parts of the central Mediterranean or central Europe already, that were producing this woolen clothing and then exporting them to areas of Europe where you can produce. And and so the and I want to go back. There's a lot of good stuff you you said there that I think um, we can un, we can unpack a bit. The yeah. uh, the sheep. So do scholars believe mm-hmm. that sheep, as we would know it today, for, in places like northern Italy and different uh, you know different countries in in, in Europe. Um, so scholars believe though the sheep, sheep originally migrated somehow from uh, the Iranian area. Yeah, you would say, as I said, the original must must come from somewhere uh, in the plateaus uh, today, yeah. Iran, more or less. And then, uh, of course, they have been uh, breed and used very much in the Near East, like in Mesopotamia and in Anatolia. We have uh, records for it. And then uh, um, the process, uh, how ships uh, arrive and uh, how they develop in, in uh, Central Mediterranean in Europe is more complicated to understand. Well, there has been mm-hmm. quite a lot of DNA studies, but it's uh, still uh, not satisfactory enough to be able to, to draw uh, a line how the whole thing happened. But uh, there has been a continuous flow of probably of new animals or with better properties. Because there must have been a very high interest in uh, trying to develop woolier sheep. You, um, you can imagine that um, you would say a Bronze Age sheep probably looks very much like uh, there is one breed that is today only living in the um, uh, 
Thank you. Is that the case in, uh, in the Ebrid, in the outer Ebrid, with uh, archipelago outside Scotland, where this animal uh, remained isolated somehow? It's called the Sohai sheep, and they are uh, they live wild on the island right now. They are very small. They mm. weigh like 40, 50 kilos, and they're maybe 50 centimeters high. They have horns, and they mm. have uh, they could give an average of 700 grams of wool per year. It's very little. A modern mm. sheep can give up to 10 kilos, or not talk about the Australian sheep, then we have some records of like 70 kilos per animals per year. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very precious material because it's very difficult to obtain. In order to have a wool production, you need thousands of animals. And it's not possible everywhere to have thousands of sheep and be able to take care of them. So there must have been a large interest in trying to get new animals with better properties so that you could produce more wool with a little bit less animals. And uh, one uh, a difference also that not so many people know is that bronze-age sheep, like the Hawaii animals from Scotland, they have, uh, they, you don't hear them, but you, you actually take the wool from, from them. It's, it's like you go and uh, collect it. Uh, during the spring, they will lose their uh, fur naturally, and you have to collect it before it gets spread in the landscape. And uh, so it's it's an extra uh, skill and an extra work that you have to add in your wool production. A whole episode, if not several episodes, on this show could be dedicated to sheep in the Mediterranean basin. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, it's very interesting. And sheep has been very important. All the time in human history, if you think that today we, there is, I think, over 1,200 sheep. I believe it. And the whole started from one ancestor. So people have been really trying to make the best out of this animal. Uh, if, they're happy, if the sheep are happy or not, this is not. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so scholars believe that this type of technology and knowledge um, arrived in Italy somehow from, from the East as well, when yeah. it comes to textile production? Probably, well, yeah, well, you know, it's difficult to say, um, maybe, but from, from the East, probably it could be contact with the Mycenaean world or, or with, with the nearest, uh, well, it, uh, it, it's difficult to say. Uh, what you can see, as I said, um, uh, what we work with when it comes to Italy, since we don't have textile fragments, really, uh, is the textile tools. And you can see uh, in Northern Italy, there is really large amount of textile tools. I'm personally been working with a site where we, uh, it's a small site, uh, it's a settlement of one hectare, so you would expect maybe 120, 130 people live there. Uh, and, um, and we found, and I could count more than 4,500 spindle boards you know, the one that you used to see in your uh, your thread. So it was really intense activity. Uh, of course, it was very spread on the right chronology, but uh, hundreds of people is still hundreds of people. <laughs> it, 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 it was really an intense production, and you have quite a lot of animal bones belonging to sheep, so it's quite clear that they had interest in, in wool production. And when you look at these tools, the tools are actually... Um, they are local in a way. They they look very much the tools that people were using in in, uh, in Italy in general, even before what you would expect to be this wool revolution. So they don't. They, the material comes and 
probably somehow you could say you probably get adapted to the technology that you know technology adapts and evolves but people already know how to deal with textile they have been producing other types of textiles and um, so you can see differences in the mediterranean when you look at textile tools you see that in Mycenaean Greece there is certain types in Italy there is other types in the Near East even uh, more different types and so on okay okay so in northern Italy uh, what what was wool used for in terms of the main textile products? Yeah, that, that, that's a very difficult question because, as I said, we really mm. don't have fragments. What we imagine is that uh, they would um, they would produce uh, in the first place, given the large amount of spindlewood, they might have produced a thread, wool thread. It, this is a possibility. Uh, it's difficult to prove it because, but it could be that there was a, actually a market for because the whole process to arrive to a ready gun, a wool gun, a wool uh, yarn. So um, it's quite complicated. So it, it could have been one product. It could have been finished textile because we have long weights. So we know that they were weaving as well. And um, as I said, we find. Uh, about the same time in Northern Europe is ready clothing, and but they cannot really have been made locally. There is very little evidence that suggests that they were made locally. So it could have been clothing that was exported uh, north of the Alps, uh, or definitely clothing for the local population. But uh, it's, it's difficult to think that wool clothing was everyday clothing. Uh, this is, a, as I mm. said, the Bronze Age still a very precious material, so it is uh, it is most likely connected to status. So you you do produce wool for a specific uh, for specific customers that can afford to buy that. Okay. I would say so. It's probably clothing and maybe carpets, but for uh, high ranked uh, households. Okay. Um, is there evidence that in Northern Italy they were producing their own textiles, like certain textiles, or were they importing everything in? No, I think in Northern Italy they were producing uh, for their own needs because there, there is too many textile tools to imagine that I would even import. Of course, uh, there must have been specialized production, like in Mycenaean Greece, that must have been really nice. In, uh, um, in Southern Italy, in Greece, on other islands like Cyprus, you have uh, very early evidence of purple dye, uh, which is also in later periods, uh, very special color, very expensive <laughs> to, to have in Europe. But so there must have been um, say, exclusive textiles that you can you could only uh, access to through long distance uh, trade with specific places. But in general, I would say that in Northern Italy, you were producing your own textile, and you were actually doing it in such an intensive way that you were able to export it. But I think it's a producer. Uh, Northern Italy is definitely producing uh, and beyond the, the local needs. Okay, and t and uh, dye existed. Dyes existed in the Bronze Age, but you're saying that uh, dyes were probably imported into Northern Italy in the Bronze Age. Did I hear that correctly? Oh. Go ahead, yeah. Some Clarify. exclusive dyes, like for example, uh, if someone uh, had the possibility, so 
Purple dye must come from, from, from the seas, but not in Italy. You wouldn't have uh, access to, to the Murex shell. This comes from southern Italy or the Mediterranean islands and Greece. Uh, but the other dye, you can dye your textile with a lot of different uh, techniques and uh, using plants, okay. and uh, they, they are less luxurious, less. Uh, um, but uh, uh, one thing that is actually interesting is that. Despite they did many analyses in this Bronze Age Danish wool clothing, they couldn't find any evidence for dye. Uh, so they imported this wool clothing, and it's it's um, uh, how do you say uh, elite brace. So it's definitely an expensive uh, way of uh, presenting yourself. But they didn't have dyes. Uh, they didn't have colors on their clothing. So there must have been. The, the trade in textile must have been very complex. And probably in the Northern Europe, you would have some kind of textile that would arrive. While in the Mediterranean, you, you know, we know from the sources that you have very high quality, uh, complicated textile that circulates. And in Northern Italy, it's difficult to say, <laughs> uh, since we really lack both written sources and uh, textile fragments, the quality, uh, the standard, but. Uh, the textile tools are a lot, and they have a lot of different shapes and weights, and so you can imagine that there was a, um, a complex production. It was not just one thing that they were doing. Definitely not. They were doing many things. What is it exactly? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we have to wait for new discoveries. <laughs> and I'm sure more will get discovered over time. Mm -hmm. So in... Is there any evidence that maritime trade was used in northern Italy? So uh, have you been able to pinpoint as a scholar and your team um, specific spots in northern Italy um, that's uh, literal along the coast that you know was used uh, for a lot of trade, which would, in, would have included importing certain items like dyes or other textiles? Yeah, no, we have plenty, well, during the Bronze Age, we have plenty of evidence for long distance trade. Uh, ports, specific places, uh, more difficult, and the coast, uh, Northern Italy coast is today Venice, south of Venice, I would say. This is a very mobile coast because there is a large river, the Po River, that keeps bringing soil from the Alps. So the, the, the original uh, seaside, uh, the Bronze Age seaside, is several kilometers kilometers inland today. Uh, so Bronze Age ports would be somewhere in the middle of the plain, and uh, in, they're not that easy to find. Or maybe they are under uh, meters and meters of sediments. And, uh, uh, but we have from a slightly late, later period, with the very end of the Bronze Age, the beginning of the Iron Age, so around 1000 BC, there is actually um, places that it's called like Fatekin or that are that have been uh, discussed as central places where you have arbor, you have long distance trade, and you have actually a series of workshops where people work the material that comes through trade in the form of raw material gets worked there and then exported. Uh, there is some, especially glass pearls, uh, um, amber, and other material that uh, that can be traced, uh, that was worked along the Italian coast in North Italy and then spread all over uh, Europe. Textile is more difficult because they don't preserve 
but they they must have been traded. Uh, uh, I think there is no doubt about it. You must trust me. No, but uh, it's uh, it it is uh, definitely an item that people were looking for in different ways. Okay, so let's work our way to some uh, closing questions. So you mentioned uh, written sources uh, a few times in your responses. So what are the main written sources that uh, a scholar like you relies on 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 this topic when we're talking about Northern Italy, Bronze Age, textiles? Well, it's a pity that I can't show you pictures because there is fantastic (laughs) Mm. uh, text that you can find. They as I said, this is the Eastern Mediterranean. In Italy, you don't have, a, uh, you don't use any alphabet or any written system until uh, later on. But in Greece, uh, in Mycenaean Greece, you actually have the Linear B tablet. So it's a clay tablet where you have been writing with different systems that the different areas have. And these uh, clay tablets are not literary texts. Most of them are just uh, accounts. They come from archives often is like merchant houses and then they or the palace the local Mycenaean palace or the local king house like in Syria and Lebanon and in, in these uh, citadels from the Near East and Mesopotamia that accidentally got burned <laughs> because of destruction or something and then the clay tablets actually cooked and got preserved for us. So you have this uh, uh, picture of a specific point in time uh, and all the recordings that have been done during maybe a specific year in, in these specific places where it happened. And you can see often in this recording what the palace or the local palace or the local house produced. And it's also extremely accurate. You, you would have the amount of sheep that the palace managed, the amount of wool that they managed to have during the year, the amount of people that were involved in, in this work, and uh, which uh, material was given to other workers to be made into textile uh, and so on and so forth. So you have uh, quite uh, precise information. And um, in one specific case in Anatolia from Tarty, today's Tarty is called the, the there is a town of Kultepir where uh, you have a uh, uh, an entire quarter outside the citadel wall which is inhabited by Assyrian merchant. So this is houses owned by Assyrian merchant. They they come from Babylon, which is about 1,500 kilometers away from Kutubia, mm-hmm. and they live there, and they have intense correspondence with their home in Babylon, in Assyria, actually, sorry. And, um, uh, and they exchange information about the people home in uh, Mesopotamia as what do we, what do you need? What do you want me to send to you? And the and the person in the like, oh, but send me this. Is is this products were very fine? They're very much appreciated. Or this one, so you mm. don't need to send anymore. Nobody wants to buy this. And, and you can follow the correspondence between these people. In some cases, there are like three, four letters back and forth mm. between names. You actually get closer to individuals, and then you know what's appreciated and how much thing costs and. In this tablet, these letters are dated about 1800 BC. So it's a, a very early, very wealth of, of details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you have to travel all all, all around um, from a scholarly perspective. It sounds on this topic to piece piece together all the pieces of evidence. 
Yeah, you used to say yeah. that the, the textile work, yeah. I mean, it's like a puzzle because you, you don't have all mm. the evidence in one place. Uh, in, uh, in the Near East, where you have all these sources, you basically do also don't have textiles, you have uh, maybe not that many animal bones, you don't, you, you miss other pieces. It's written that they were doing it, so you trust the tablet. But in Europe, you have a lot of archaeological evidence, but you don't have tablet. And uh, so when you put all the things together, you get a very nice piece, but it's difficult. <laughs> okay, closing question for you, Serena. So if you were to describe, and it's it's okay if you, uh, of course, if you su summarize, if you were to describe what you believe um, uh, men and women, and you can, you, can, you can address it separately, men and women were wearing uh, commonly in the, in the Bronze Age, in in northern northern Italy, you can bring you know the types of material into your answer if you want. What do you what do you think they were regularly wearing? Oh, this is uh, this is very difficult. <laughs> you, we we cannot really know the the clothes. Actually, we, we we know what people were wearing in in Greece and uh, in the Near East because of the painting. There is so okay. plenty of paintings, but when it comes to Italy, it is. Um, you can refer to later periods when you know how during the Iron Age or the Italic people used to dress in the, or the Roman time, or uh, as most of the archaeologists today, when they do reconstruct Italy and Europe, they normally connect them together. Like uh, they use the Danish, <laughs> the Danish clothing as an example. So it's quite paradoxical, but when you see books or reconstruction of uh, Bronze Age clothing in Europe and Central Mediterranean, you see actually people wearing typical uh, Danish Bronze Age <laughs> clothing everywhere. So we imagine it could be that, but we have we have no evidence, uh, unfortunately, especially for Italy. It's quite surprising, but uh, it's probably one of the places where you have least idea how, how people look like. But flax, but commonly, uh, you believe flax was being used as a source, wool and and dyes in the uh, in the textiles. Yes, definitely. I would say that probably I would expect that people normally wear flax, and uh, in uh, uh, patients or some uh, group of high, high higher group of the population would wear woolen uh, clothing, and I would expect them to, to look like uh, what. We are more used to later classical period in in Italy, so like the uh, 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 shorter clothing, quite similar actually, men and women with. Um, I I in my imagination is more like the Roman time rather than mm. the, the Danish Bronze Age, but we we don't know. <laughs> okay, this has been really enjoyable speaking with you today, Serena. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> Thanks. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Sabatini is co-editor of, The Textile Revolution in Bronze Age Europe and Exchange Networks and Local Transformations. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Serena and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.